Hello, party people. Welcome back to Woven in Truth Podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time to listen today. Um, This is uh, just Mallory with you today, just me. My dog's here too, but he doesn't speak English, so. Um, Anyways, I appreciate your time. I basically, uh, the reason I'm doing this podcast, uh, it started as an assignment. So I was in a class with Dr. Oaks in... um, on Romans, it was a wonderful class, and um, part of the requirements were to write two lessons in the book of Romans and deliver them, so this was my version of that, so I super appreciate you guys, um, yeah, listening and uh, creating space for that, so um, anyways, I just, this is means a lot to me just to spend time on the podcast with you guys, I have missed it, I also sometimes get insecure about doing my own uh, content on here because basically the reason I created it was to be a, you know, facilitate a platform for other women. But I'm trying to uh, be okay that uh, you guys also might be interested in listening to me share things that the spirits put on my heart as well. So also the Bible is always good. So even if I'm just sharing scriptures, that's enough. So anyways, thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive in a little bit here. Um, so it's going to be on Romans 12, uh, verse nine through 13. I'll start by reading it and then I'm actually going to break it down kind of verse by verse. So, um, it says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with one, with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. So that actually I just read through 16. I'm only going to pick a part 9 through 13, but I couldn't resist <laughs> reading those last couple of verses because they're just so good um for my soul my heart my character um but to intro kind of this passage there's a persistent theme the need for a humble and peaceable attitude towards others whether that be fellow christians or non-christians um in our spheres of relationships so here's a little context behind this passage too in his letter to the romans paul has presented the gospel from our need for divine rescue to the glorious future that Jesus Christ offers us. And specifically in chapter 12, Paul explains that the gospel has implications for the way we should treat one another. He begins with attitudes and principles rather than specific actions. So I think that's kind of important to know the context behind this. It's like, also, my husband's been doing all this deep study. He's in a master's program on the Beatitudes. And I think when I used to read scriptures like this one in Romans or think about the Beatitudes, I used to think of it as like a list of ideals or like how Christians should be um, or, you know, ways we should work harder to be like Jesus. But I'm, I'm seeing these things in a much deeper kind of mm, more meaningful way and that these are opportunities to receive this kind of love, grace, mercy, in and through Jesus and the spirit, but then also to then, you know, fill up with that and then extend it to others. So to be more of a reservoir reservoir when it comes to this, rather than just kind of a conduit that we're always pumping out more for God as a, that's to me, that's the, the, the way I used to understand and interpret this, but I feel like that's a very limiting 
way. Um, so it's basically principles rather than actions as we're picking this apart. So we're going to kind of break it down verse by verse here, if that's okay. I'm going to start in verse nine where it says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. The original Greek of what is translated to love must be sincere or sincere love means not playing a part. Wow. For chameleons like me, that's a big deal. Um, This means that our love for others should not be surface level or manufactured, but instead should be authentic. Love is not simply a matter of emotion, but instead a matter of the will. And like the C.S. Lewis quote says, love is never wasted for its value does not rest upon reciprocity. Whoa. Biblical love only brings us into harmony with God's will, character, and plans and purposes. Sincere love is so much deeper than circumstances or reciprocity. And I really believe the only way to posture our love this way is through God and his sanctifying work in our hearts. Because on my own and in my own, you know, human flesh and (laughs) leanings, I think I just limit it so much more in myself, but also in the people around me where it's contingent on reciprocation and different things like that. But biblical love, sincere love is so much deeper than that. And then I think it's also important to talk about how it says hate what is evil, you know, cling to what is good. Anything that draws us away from others um, or draws others away from what is honoring to God is in opposition to that. And I think I need to remember that, right? When culture tells us differently that this is God's word. Let's be honest, everyone in this world on some level is looking and longing for authenticity. I know I am. That's something that's one that's something I value. It's a very high on my value list. But authentic love doesn't happen apart from God. And it doesn't happen without intention, effort, and honestly, opposition. Thus, we really do have to hate what is evil. We have to distance ourselves, our hearts, and our perspectives from all that is evil or dishonoring to God, right? Um, This is an Ellen White quote. It says, whatever attracts the mind from God, whatever draws the affections away from Christ is an enemy to the soul. Wow. So we got to cling to what is good. This is not a shift in thought, but a continuation of the command to love God and others sincerely. Um, It's part of what makes that love authentic. So here's another little uh, note from this one commentary when I was studying this passage. It says, We must not only do which is good, but we must cleave to it. It denotes a deliberate choice of, a sincere affection for, and a constant perseverance in that which is good. This takes a lot of intentionality, right? Um, In this chapter, Paul is focusing on our responsibility as Christians to live a life of love in the midst of a fallen world. And this is something that I'm convicted by. I can't honestly, like, we do live in a... fallen world we do live around a lot of negativity hardship trials hurt you know fill in the blank right but I can't be faithful and cynical at the same time and I feel convicted by that right we're so quick to go to the negative the bad the hard the painful but God empowers us to find the good find the light find him in ourselves in our circumstances and in others Let's move on to verse 10 here. It says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This verse in its original translation has a special denotation for familial. Familial? How do I say that? (laughs) Family affection, right? Um, Think of natural love, devotion, loyalty, and commitment to one, you know, like that we have to our family members in a functioning or healthy 
capacity, right? If you have like healthy connection and relationship and safety and family relationships, think of that kind of love, right? So Paul implies a church family should have a similar love for one another. Devotion means a strong attachment of love or affection. So if we have this attitude, we will honor others in this family over ourselves. And this includes our leanings and preferences, which the older I get, the more I realize I'm very opinionated and I do have a lot of preferences. But I have to really honor other people even above those things. Those things matter. So I don't think it's it's not saying like just squash all that and don't have that and don't have a personality or part. Like God creates us to have these things and to be unique to make things better and more fulfilling and we all represent a different part of the image of God so I think those are important but I also have to choose sometimes to honor others over those things like that person as created in the image of God matters more than my preference you know um and honor means a high internal attitude of respect courtesy or esteem for can be translated as, as weight or weightiness. So a heaviness of importance. That's how we should honor one another. And honestly, there's not, like, this is hard for me. Because um, by honor, our, honoring another, you're saying you value them above yourself, which is a huge calling, right? And how often do we willingly yield to our brothers and sisters as a way of showing honor to them? Maybe outwardly, um, but honestly, for me, it's more of a heart posture. And I've been thinking a lot about interpersonal relationships and how so much of the status of my heart shows up when it comes to my relationships with other people, whether that be coworkers, bosses, families, significant others. And Jesus was exceptional at this. But I've noticed for me, um, I kind of tend to honor others when in my human understanding they're deserving of that. But that is not what we are called to as Christians. Our honor of others cannot be conditional. And this is one of the most countercultural concepts that the way of Jesus has to offer our society. Um, and it just, you know, I did a little digging there too when I was picking this, you know, passage apart. And it just makes me think of how much, you know, I value justice, you know, in my heart. And I do expect to feel and be received a certain way. Not that this is like necessarily wrong, but I do like one of my least favorite feelings is just, I hate feeling mistreated. I hate feeling misunderstood or unappreciated. But then I remember Jesus and I remember the woman caught in adultery. And we, we have to remember all the time that the only person qualified to throw a stone at her didn't. And I think sometimes I can feel qualified, you know, like I can feel like I know better or I, you know, have been mistreated or whatever. And we have no control over the decisions or even the sin of others. We judge others by their impact, but we judge ourselves by our intentions all the time. And I think that's something I'm really trying to um, kind of just let God get in there and do his sanctifying work and try to help me have the same perspective he did. Um. We have to honor others and we also have to honor their pace. This is hard for me. I want and expect people to process and arrive to places at the same time as me. But if I'm honoring others in my life, I'm also honoring their autonomy and their pace, right? I need to assume the best and trust that God is working in their heart and in their life just like he's working in mine. I love that we have a Lord that honors our autonomy, right? He He does not force his love, his ways, any of that on anybody so like why should I feel like I'm you know 
eligible to do that, right? And even when we feel the need to point fingers and defend our wounds, which do matter, we can remember the example and the mercy of Jesus. Just how hurt people hurt people, healed people heal people. So this is definitely a beautiful concept, although difficult, right? Okay, let's move on to verse 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Zeal means a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. It's an Eric Raymond quote. I don't know who that is, but I found this quote on the internet. Spiritual fervor can be translated as being set on fire by the Spirit. Wow. So this is also a reference to the Holy Spirit, which we don't talk enough about. This is what creates passion in our hearts towards the will of God, right? Our faith and excitement about God is sustained through serving God, not just leaning into ourselves through self-care or what have you. It really saddens me how many Christians I spend time with that have no spiritual fervor, right? And this can be me too. I'm not judging anybody. <laughs> it's just a, just an observation. They just, you know, they don't have any excitement about their lives, about their futures, or about what God's doing. You know, they're just, I don't get me wrong. I admire longstanding fidelity to the scriptures. And I know we aren't always going to be all pumped about everything, but so many of us don't seem like they even like their lives or their sphere of the mission God has them in. And it's not very appealing to talk to others or kids, right? Like when we're like that, it's not inspiring. Like people don't look at that and go, wow, I want your life, right? Um, it just reminds me of when I used to go see my, my sweet friend and hairdresser, Audrey, I think I've told you guys this on the podcast, but I think it's worth repeating. Like I did not like my life. I was super busy. I was running around doing all these things, quote unquote, for God and for others or whatever. And I just was so burnt out. And every time I would go in and see my hairstylist, who is also my friend, I would like tell her about how stressed I was. I'd always have a migraine, whatever. And then, um, my like venti coffee that I'm like slurping down. Right. And, um, I would be like, Oh, do you want to come to this event? I'm working on this weekend. And she's like, finally, she just was like, no, I don't want your life. <laughs> like, she said it nicely, but I think it, it really made me think about the kind of woman I was becoming. And is, do I even like that person? Is that somebody I would want to be like or be in community with and is that somebody that truly is honoring God right like maybe I was like working for God but was I honoring God and like what is he actually calling me to you know like I don't I I don't know why I got so you know turned around there but I was grateful for that opportunity I felt like God even used that conversation for me to think about um kind of regaining uh spiritual fervor in terms of like living a life and living God's, you know, plan for me in a way that I actually am proud of, you know? Um, I love this other translation of this verse. Do not slack in your faithfulness and hard work. It's good to consider, right? Have I been slacking in my faithfulness, in my trust in God, in his word, in his promises, right? There's a call to posture ourselves so that the spirit can do its work. We don't make ourselves zealous, but we can participate, right? Um, a quote from the, the main text from my class said, Paul would be urging us to use the time that God gives us effectively in God's service, right? It's a different way of viewing our time, our resources, right? Um, verse 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Oh, I love this verse. It's basically directions for Christian living and perspective in a fallen world, right? We, we rejoice, but we rejoice in hope, not in circumstances or outcomes. We stay patient and spiritually mindful in affliction, which always comes, right? 
patience means or patient means denotes a passive oh sorry 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 let me start patient means denotes not a passive putting up with things but an active steadfast endurance another uh definition of tribulation or affection says denotes not some minor pinprick but deep and serious trouble so this isn't like patient and affliction like oh no they got my coffee order wrong this is like when life is really difficult when things are not what you thought they'd be when you are reeling in wounds when you are losing sleep over some distress right um the state of being afflicted is a state of pain distress or grief some virtues are only seen in affliction isn't that true so when i'm feeling afflicted or in distress the last thing i want to be is patient right i want to get out of it as soon as possible but we got to consider how often do we throw out honor and other spiritual commands when we are in trials, let alone like serious trouble. This is a very convicting question for me. So, you know, there's this very true statement. Suffering is inevitable, but joy and hope amidst suffering are not. And I think God invites us to trust him and find peace and stress because he loves us holistically right this isn't just a command to make our lives harder than they already are this is because he loves us and he wants what's best for us holistically i don't think i've thought about that before like he we know we're gonna have tribulation we know we're gonna have trials i'm sure every person listening to this has something very significant in their life and i see you and i want to create space for that and i used to see these scriptures and kind of think oh man it, it almost felt like uh what's the word like dismissive of the hardship but that's actually not true at all i think god cares so deeply for us that he wants us to be okay and be with him in the midst of everything because he knows that's going to happen because we live in a fallen world right on this side of eternity it's going to be hard there's going to be bumps there's going to be losses there's going to be things to grieve and mourn and heal right but he loves us holistically. He cares for our hearts, but also our physical bodies. And if we can't be patient in times of distress, which surely come, we will live with chronic stress and anxiety. And this affects our behavior and our bodies, both of which matter so much to God. The Mayo Clinic says the long-term activation of the stress response system and too much exposure to cortisol and other stress hormones can disrupt almost all the body's processes. So stress and freaking out and like constant anxiety and, you know, this like this constant, if we're living with that chronic stuff, it's going to harm our hearts <laughs> spiritually, emotionally, but also physically. And God cares about us so much, right? He, he put us in a body, right? For a reason. And if we can trust God and be patient in times of trouble rather than fight it like crazy, we can steward the life and the bodies God gave us in ways that honor him and honestly help us like enjoy our lives. Like my friend Mindy told me, we do have a choice. We can continue to spend all of our energy fighting the waves or we can choose to adjust our sails. It's a posture of patience amidst trial, right? Another version, uh, verse 12 says, let hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble, but commune with God at all times. And so much of this comes down to perspective and a spiritual awareness. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. We ought to give thanks for all fortune if it is good because it is good. If bad because it works in us, patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. 
Faithfulness is only cultivated through connection. We must pray continually in all situations. We can posture ourselves in the constant presence of God, lean on him in the good, bad, and awful, and trust the spirit to meet whatever need we have. Maybe that's direction, maybe that's comfort, or maybe just awareness of spiritual truths to help us have a different lens about life um, on this earth, right? Okay, let's move to verse 13. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. I love this Mother Teresa quote. God gives us things to share. He doesn't give us things to hold. This is seriously a spiritual battle in Western society. I am convicted by my own consumerism. Um, another common saying is if we consume less, we share better. And we are in a culture that pumps us with the narrative that happiness is a result of getting everything we want. But God's narrative is that fulfillment comes from sharing what God has given us with others. To see them as beloved children of God, to see them as made in his image and sharing what we have, whether that be resources, talents, fill in the blank, right? Why does God want us to practice hospitality, right? Why is this so important? And I'd argue that it's because he calls us to follow him in community. If you look at all the callings, all the scriptures, it's always in community. It is not this super individualistic thing, right? And there is a great tragedy of aloneness in our society. Maybe you feel this personally. And if you don't, I guarantee that many others in your circle do. One recent study I found says that 47% of Americans report that their relationship with others is not meaningful. All of their relationships with others are not meaningful. It's actually what it said. And we'd be surprised at who those people are, right? Sometimes the most extroverted people are the loneliness, loneliest (laughs) sorry which is actually really true like even Elvis Presley I recently watched a movie about him it was really sad um one of the most famous people in his time right and one of the most surrounded people I mean in the movie it showed that he had like a troop of like 20 friends and family that he had full-time on payroll and they were around him all the time he said I'm with a crowd but oh so alone And so many of us relate to this and so many around us do too. Isolation is devastating and it's exactly where Satan wants us to be, right? And it's not just lack of relationships in general. It's the deprivation of meaningful relationships that we pine for, we are designed for. God does not just wire us for community. He designs us for meaningful community, one that makes belonging matter. This is why I argue that Christian community is so significant if done well, right? It can also be very harmful if not done well, but that's another podcast. God understands this deep need we have. I'd argue it's why he sent Jesus in human form. Jesus doesn't call us to spiritually bypass our humanity, our needs, our feelings, all that stuff. He empowers us to be his hands and feet though here in this earth, this fallen world, to meet people's relational and physical needs when and where we can kind of in correlation with our bandwidth, right? Even if it's awkward or uncomfortable though, like there's still so many opportunities to lean in, to be used by God, to be that willing vessel. And you might be surprised at how this cultivates secure meaning attachments for your relational needs as well. Um, I've noticed that, like I, I had so many, it's been a really kind of hard couple years in terms of like peer relationships for me. A lot of my friends 
have left my specific church community for different reasons, moving or uh, a change in values and priorities. Maybe they found other places to worship or whatever. But honestly, I live in Southern California. It's very expensive. A lot of my friends have moved <laughs> and or just like life has taken us in different directions. But I had just had to pray to be the kind of friend I want to have. And I feel like God has surprised me. That's something my friend... Um, May praise for a lot that God would surprise her. And I think that's been so cool. Like I've made all these friends that are women in very different life stages and circumstances, and they have just been wonderful friends to me in this time. Right. Um, but I just, I'm not, I don't underestimate the ways God uses us to, um, serve and give and be his hands and feet. But then that, that can come around later in different ways. That's surprising and unexpected and so fulfilling. Right. So as I conclude this, I'd like to note the radical differences of a life of lordship versus what the flesh in our society upholds. Um, And I just think it's so important to be aware of this because I spend, if I spend too much time in certain, I don't know, settings or too much time online or whatever, I can start going, man, that actually seems not too bad or yeah, I do need to do more of this and I, I do need to like not be as giving or whatever, like and I, I think there's there's a radical difference for a reason. A lifestyle of lordship is so countercultural. It feels hard sometimes because it is. We are fighting against our flesh. We are fighting against our own sinful natures and those of the people around us. <laughs> we are fighting against a society that denies and rejects God himself. You know, there is an immense need for the spirit's intervention if we are to live Christian lives. Without the renewed mind, we will distort the scriptures to avoid their radical commands for self-denial, love, honor, purity, and supreme satisfaction in Christ alone. That's a John Piper quote. And if you're like me, I can drift pretty easily and start watering these commands down, especially if I'm hurt, right? Especially if I'm like, wait, this isn't fair or like, so I, I want to live this way, but so-and-so is not, you know, I can start getting weird and humanistic about it. And sometimes it can be hard to hold strongly to these standards, but it's so worth it. And it gets easier, right? The spirit empowers us to create new neural pathways and habits to think and live this way with his help. I'm going to close with one of my favorite quotes of all time. I had this on my uh, phone wallpaper for a long time because I just love it. It helps remember. It helps me remember that I get to choose how I want to live each day, right? It's a F. Scott Fitzgerald quote. It says, I hope you live a life you're proud of. And if you find that you're not, I hope you have the strength to start all over again. We are all invited to experience the immense blessings of imitating Jesus in a society that so often goes against him, leading us all into a selfish and isolated oblivion, right? Instead of that, we are called to live whole and meaningful lives. And that is inspiring. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. I really appreciate it. I hope some of it resonated with you in some way. I love Romans in general. <laughs> Feel free to study it out for your times with God this week or this month. There's a lot to unpack. Um, but I, I really care about you and I really appreciate you guys um, Yeah, caring about me personally, but also this podcast and the community we have here. We'll catch you next time on the podcast.